I'm your host, Crystal Douglas. I'm a clothing designer and celebrity tailor, a wild Mustang tamer, and an entrepreneur addicted to self-education. This podcast is dedicated to sharing lessons from my experiences of building my own brand in the handmade and creative space. What started as a home sewing machine propped on the edge of a $30 Craigslist desk grew to be my dream job, a thriving sewing enterprise here in Nashville, Tennessee. If you make or design things for money, this, and let's be honest, every other episode of Pull the Thread will help you do that even better. I can't wait to dive into this next episode with you. So let's go. The largest art theft in world history happened nearly 33 years ago today in Boston, March 18, 1990, these thieves stole 13 pieces of art collectively valued at $500 million at the time from Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum. One of the pieces stolen is considered to be the most valuable stolen object in the world. As of 2015, it was valued at $250 million. So 25 years after it had gone missing, it had been valued at that price. And what is that painting, you ask? It's a Dutch painting called The Concert. It's by a Dutch artist named Johannes Vermeer. It depicts a man and two women performing music. And a reward of $10 million is still offered for information leading to the return of this piece of art. Dating back to the mid-1660s, It was only first documented around 1780, and Isabella Stewart Gardner herself won it in an 1892 auction in Paris for just $5,000, obviously a ton of money back then, but it's been on display at Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum up until when it was stolen. To this day, the painting has not resurfaced. It's thought to be the most valuable missing painting in the world and it only measures 28 and a half by 25 and a half inches part of me wonders is it only like this valuable because it's missing and then another part of me wonders have the thieves made hundreds of millions of dollars already in like selling or reselling all of these stolen priceless irreplaceable pieces and then another part of me wants to spin off in like like the mastermind Ocean's Eleven style heist where maybe it's the museum or somebody involved as an investor in the museum themselves and it's an insurance policy and you know they were like reimbursed for their insured art and then they they still have the art and they can offer a 10 million dollar um a 10 million dollar reward if it does resurface because they have the money because they've already made off on the money from the insurance who knows right And then I think about just how funny it is that as a creative person, I have this whole narrative about um, people who appreciate creative, like stealing from themselves. Um, And then I'm like, but wait, like that's actually what creatives do more than any other like demographic, any other industry. Creatives steal from themselves all the time, all the time, every single day. So that's what this episode is about. The episode is that you are stealing from yourself. And so we're going to go over a handful of ways that you're probably doing that in your own business or your own creative hustle. Let's go. 
Okay, these are five ways that you are stealing from yourself and your creative business. The first is going to be that you are not investing time in any other platform but your primary platform. Your primary platform has become the only platform that you spend any time on or effort on whatsoever. The second one is that you are not watching the numbers and you are either, you are one of three kinds of people. I see you. I know exactly what you're about. All right. The third one, you're not watching the clock. And that one is just as lethal of a way to be stealing from yourself as is not being in your numbers. The fourth one is how you're collecting payments. So we're going to talk about that. And then the fifth one is you're hiding behind your service or your product. So let's talk about the first one. You are not investing any time in any other platform and you're probably laughing and you're just like, well, I know because you really, really love TikTok or you really love the ease of scrolling mindlessly through Instagram. The problem is the amount of business owners out there literally inhabiting only one platform completely baffles me because there are different kinds of people in this beautiful world. And different people like to engage on different platforms. So yes, while many of us are early adopters, therefore we are on all of these platforms and we probably spend a little bit of time a day on every single platform, there are many people out there and some of like that might include you who only spend time on one platform. And what you'll notice if you bounce around between platforms is you will learn that everybody consumes content differently and Every platform allows you to do that. Okay. So some people like to read every caption, uh, captions in videos is really what did TikTok for them. Some people like to scroll mindlessly and quickly and move on to the next thing within four seconds. Uh, that is Instagram. That's not TikTok. Sometimes you've got to like wait for the hook. Uh, some people want to see what no one else is seeing and that's like clapper. Okay. So you have to inhabit more than one platform. You can't stick on just one because you're missing out a demographic and you're falling prey to the mercy of the algorithm. In fact, like what's going to happen is so many people follow you on TikTok, let's say for example, you will be surprised at how quickly you form an echo chamber of all the same people seeing all the same videos and being in the same group. Like you kind of form an algorithm group naturally and you're like, oh, you go here because you start seeing other people that you know on other people that you follow's content. The algorithm is a lot tighter and smaller than people think that it is on each of these platforms. So what happens is you've now created your own echo chamber and most of the time the content that you engage with is your peers, right? But what happens when you're a business owner is you start to market to your peers as a result. Therefore, stepping outside of your comfort zone and trying out other platforms, spending time in different spaces will shake your, your head like loose from the echo chamber, from hanging out and creating content for your peers. And instead, you'll start uh, focusing more on creating content for your ideal audience and for your ideal customers. I also think that attrition happens over the lifetime of these platforms. I think that over time, the longer that a platform uh, sticks around, well, it's fact that you know the early adopters to all platforms are going to be the youngest crowd, um, with the oldest adopters going to be coming later. Um, we saw it with Facebook, where when I was in high school, you had to be in college to be on Facebook, um, and I got an invite, made my sister give it to me, and then uh, you know now it's like 
grandparents are on Facebook and that's how like, like my family will do their family reunion. Okay. So that's, that's the life cycle of a platform where, um, people in the older generations inhabit a platform last versus the youngest, um, of every social group will come first. So the longer that you take up residence on one platform and you don't try to strengthen your strategy on other platforms one by one, the more likely you will fall prey to this echo chamber and then also you will sort of siphon through the generations of your potential audience, your ideal clients. I would not advise to give yourself the goal of just being better across the board on all platforms. I would see what's working for you on your favorite platform and try to turn that into a strategy that fits on other platforms. Repurposing content is huge. Like for instance, I record video while I record podcasts that creates TikTok and Instagram content. Um, I will turn my video on TikTok into a caption on Instagram and just post a photo or carousel photos. I'm not like a huge reels person, but try to find ways to repurpose what's working well for you on the platform that you adore on the platforms that you're a little bit less comfortable because you know that the content works. It's just the manner of consuming. So yeah, that's mistake number one. That's how you are stealing from yourself as far as capturing attention. Please just remember that your day job is day trading attention. And however you do that, whether it is making things for money or serving a crowd with your service, you are day trading attention. So you have to keep that first and foremost in your marketing strategy. Okay. The second thing that you are doing that is causing you to steal from yourself and probably the biggest one is that you are not watching your numbers. I see you (laughs) because you were one of three people and guess what? I have been all three of these people. So no shade. I totally get it. You either are person one, you look over every cent every invoice, every transaction, every supply cost, every shipping cost, everything. You saw when USPS increased their shipping prices. You know. You fine-tooth comb everything on the 30th of every month, okay? Like, you know the cost of everything. So that's great. That's a great place to be. The only caveat that I would have to this is that as you get busier, this is one of the first things to slide where finances aren't really getting looked over, invoices aren't getting paid. Um, It's just really, really easy to start missing things and stop caring. I personally remember during the pandemic pulling the trigger quickly because I needed boxes with my company name printed on them. And I paid way too much for these boxes, like literally multiple thousands and thousands of dollars just for boxes. And what's sad is like being in a hurry, looking over um, the cost of each one, the cost of the plating fees, the cost of the design, like just every little thing when I had already made the design, there was no reason for several of those line item charges, but being in a hurry makes us reactive. And when we're reactive, we miss things. Um, So um, I would encourage you that even if you are person number one, I would encourage you to become person number two. Person number two is you have someone else 
do the brunt of the numbers and you have a system for them to follow, but you glance over all of it to be sure that it's right. And that might be on a weekly basis. If you have a lot of things going in and out, um, that could be on a monthly basis. If it's a very simple business. And by that, I don't mean to be diminutive. I just mean like, let's say a simple business would be you sell two products on only one platform and that money is deposited into your account and that platform handles paying for the shipping labels and you simply ship a product. So the only thing that you're purchasing is supplies. Um, and then the only thing that you're receiving payment for is, uh, the actual finished product. It starts to get a little bit more complicated if other people are invoicing you and you are paying for work that's being done, whether they work within your company or whether you're delegating it out to outside companies to handle, it starts to get a little bit trickier. So if you, um, scale and you get a little bit busier, you're going to want to delegate this as one of your first things. I would really encourage it. It has been a game changer for me having somebody look over our finances and mainly just do math because there have been years gone by where I have not had the energy to sit and go over people's invoices or uh, go over our supplies costs or shipping costs where like, you know, I've had a vendor charge me too much on fabric that I've purchased before. And I was in such a hurry to like get the fabric in, in time for the piece to go on a tour that I didn't even factor in that they charged me like $95 in shipping for a $20 fabric, you know, um, and it wasn't what was agreed upon. And so it's really, really great to pay somebody on an hourly wage or like a weekly, um, like retainer just for them to go over your invoices and look at it. And I think that you would be surprised as to how economical that is and how much money it saves you. Uh, for example, in the past, I have paid $100 and it has saved me $800 in mistakes, in invoices, in being overcharged on things, in like subscriptions that have come out that we never subscribed to, etc. And so I would really encourage you to be person number two. And big shunning if you are person number three, which is you look at nothing. <laughs> you don't keep receipts. You don't take photos of them. You, you know, like maybe you have a plan. Maybe you have like a QuickBooks or Wave or Zero or whatever you have. Maybe you have some sort of software that is generally keeping track of things. And you know if your account is in the positive or the negative or on the verge of one or the other. You know that, right? I would encourage you uh, that your most profitable self exists around the second person's habits. One of my primary reasons for believing that this second type of person is going to be safeguarded the best, they're going to be the most profitable, is because, let's say, like, obviously a dramatic metaphor, but let's say you get hit by a bus, you get sick, something happens, your business has to maintain running if you step away for a moment. And if you hire somebody to do your books, then technically you have to have some sort of written process somewhere for them to follow. You have something written down about your passwords, etc. Um, so someone else can run the playbook even if you step away for a moment. And because of this, I think this leads to more organized businesses when these steps are documented. Um, and two, you can't scale without building a process. And I'm not saying this because it's like, a business can't be taken seriously if it's just one person. I'm just saying this in that, like the moment that you trust to delegate out certain tasks, you end up filling the time that you would have been doing that task with something that actually earns you more money. <laughs> I mean, personally, I have seen this when it comes to 
uh, graphics, like graphic creation, and I've seen it in when it comes to accounting, that I am less efficient at these things. And while I would think that I would be making more money by not delegating out the task and doing it myself and spending all night working on something, um, it turns out that it's a lot cheaper to pay somebody who is actually good at those things to do their job. And in the time that I would have been dabbling around with trying to be good at something, uh, I'll make more money doing what I'm actually good at. So that's my thought when it comes to you're stealing from yourself if you're not in your numbers, if you're not watching your numbers. You don't need to watch them like a hawk, but you do need to absolutely have a business process when it comes to your finances and be going over things monthly or weekly depending on how many ins and outs you've got, how many transactions are happening, just to keep your finger on the pulse of what's going on. Uh, I like to check in monthly and I do this because even though we do have a lot of weekly transactions here and there, monthly allows me to forecast better in that I can look at the calendar over the next coming months and go, okay, we're going to need to be like have really great cash flow on this week and you know the next two weeks we're okay we can go ahead and like you know buy supplies etc but if we're rolling into this like fourth quarter or uh, let's say like tax season I'm not going to be buying nice to have supplies when they're not necessities until I know for a fact like okay are our taxes covered are our bills covered can we move forward as a business great <laughs> another way that you are stealing from yourself you're not watching the clock Yesterday morning, I was finishing a look for a stadium show at CMA Fest at the time that I'm recording this here in Nashville. It's a music festival for country musicians, country fans coming from like far and wide. And I, at one point I was like, oh, there's like 10, 20,000 people down. No, apparently it's like hundreds of thousands of people. I was way off. I am oblivious to the fan side of things. But uh, this is a huge music festival. And so my schedule has kind of just been like slipping and sliding all over the place. And I was finishing up a look uh, that is literally on stage as I'm recording this. And my stylist texted me and she was like, hey, when, what time can we meet? And I'm like, oh, I only have three more steps. So I could just tell her like in an hour, like I need one more hour of work, you know, and then I'll just let you know when I'm done. But about an hour, no big deal. So I get into the piece and uh, then I realized that I'd made a mistake when I'd made it. Like, so dumb. I will tell you guys. No, I mean, don't tell anybody, okay? So I'd made this pair of pants. I'd fit the pair of pants. Everything looks good. I was like taking them in. And I pulled out the liner and I go and I realize I put a dart in the front left panel. Like, what? Why? I put darts in the back of the pants. I don't know why I put a dart in the front. I think I just got confused as to where the center back was. And I just kept darting panels. I don't know. I must have just like got stuck on a loop while I was sewing and then I realized well I've already fit these and that fit in the way so now even though like that dart is like an inch and a half of space so now I need to let out the dart so that it's a nice flat front but then I need to take it in on the side seams so like two steps technically became five steps I look up like I, I there's no way I could have sent it and known like I would have lost sleep I can't do that so like maybe nobody would have noticed I didn't even notice it in the fitting because it's sequins and it's loud and you maybe you can't tell but I will know and so I needed to redo the panel you know, so that it'll be right so that I can sleep at night. And the next thing that I know, I look up and it's been two hours. 
like what on earth so I'm like checking my phone no we're all good like I've not missed the pass off right but here I am panicking because my one hour of finishing up work turns into two hours and that's double like first of all that cuts into your margin second of all when you miss deadlines you lose money and it might be different for you if you sell a product and not a service so long as the product is making its own like ship deadline let's say But us creatives, we all do this. Like all of us go, oh, it'll only take me like two hours to make those pants. And then you look up and you're like, oh, it's 2 a.m. I've been working on this for six. My question to you would be, are you watching the clock in terms of profitability? Are you watching the clock in terms of how much you can actually produce in a day? Some people only cut one day and then they sew the next day and then they package or tag and bag the next day and they they batch every step so that they're as profitable as possible because your brain is designed to be more efficient the more times you repeat the same task and you can't become more efficient if you're doing one, like each individual task within your to-do list. Um, so instead, I would recommend that you batch as much as possible, like batch by thread color, batch by uh, cutting, batch by sewing, batch by wrapping, batch as much as you can. I even, going back to the numbers mistake, uh, I even batch my computer work and I keep track of when my high energy is and when my low energy is. Like, let's say I know that I've got hours of work to do, but I'm fried, I'm burnout, and it's only 2 p.m. I go home. I pull up in my computer and I do low energy work, which is bookkeeping, which is digital, which is marketing. That's all low energy work because I can do that from the comfort of my couch or my bed and not my sewing studio. And so it's all about watching the clock and going, okay, realistically, Crystal, how much time did you take making this? Realistically, how long is it going to take you to bag and tag all of this product? Realistically, how long will it take you to make that graphic, record that podcast, write that email to your list? If you're not watching the clock, you are stealing from yourself. And hey, maybe you've been doing this for years. What that means is, because I I realized myself like doing the same thing, you are assuming that you, your profitability and your productivity were the same that many years ago as you are now. I am finding, and I'm, I still consider myself young. I'm 33. I am finding that I am not as fast as I used to be. I used to be lightning on a machine, hand sewing and everything. And things that used to take me 20 minutes now often take me 30 to 35. And while I understand that part of that is focus, attention, my attention is always being diverted. I'm always having to like reprioritize and I'm doing a lot more communicating than I am sewing. There is something to be said for auditing your clock, even after having done what you do at a very high level for years and years and years. I would recommend you set a timer for yourself. So if you say, oh, I can make that object or I can uh, knock out that task in this many minutes or this many hours, I would recommend that you set a 30 minute timer for yourself or just set a timer and see how long that it actually takes you to make that thing. Otherwise, you could be stealing from yourself. The fourth way that you are committing highway robbery on your own creative business is how you're collecting payments. Now this is a sticky one and I have a lot of thoughts. I'm only going to share a couple of them with you, but we're going to choose our own adventure here. So adventure number one is that you are a service-based business. If you 
provide a service within the creative or the craft-based space, there are two ways that you can steal from yourself in terms of collecting payments. One way is not collecting a payment at the time that the service is completed. The truth is you have to look at collecting payments like a credit card, but in reverse. So every month that goes by, every day that goes by when you've not collected a payment for something that you have already produced the work for, your opportunity cost dwindles. So first of all, the opportunity cost, if you don't know what that means, it's the cost of saying yes to the opportunity. So for instance, let's say you say yes to working for somebody or sewing something, making something to the cost of $500. Okay, then let's say that right after that, the opportunity arises that you could have made $900 on a different project. But see, you've already said yes to the 500. So you're all in on that five, right? Now let's say that whoever has hired you to do this work does not pay for a month. Did you lose 500? Or I'm sorry, there's probably a better way to say this. Did you simply not collect the $500 within that month? Or did you not collect $800? See, now at the end of that month, it's cost you $300 in addition to the money is not in your account to be working capital to invest in other projects and to invest your time in other projects. So the first piece of advice is you have to collect payment at the time that services are completed or shortly thereafter, because the moment that you're not collecting that money within that one to two week span, worst case scenario, it's actually costing you money. Not only is it pulled out of your profit for the month. So let's say, you know, on average, you have payments paid a month later technically you've lost an entire month's worth of income at the end of your year. If you look at it on a chart, so let's say you are billing things nonstop, but you're not collecting nonstop or collecting around the same time frame to which you're billing, you're losing that working capital. Therefore, you're losing your opportunity to create even more income, make more products, buy more supplies. It's clipping your wings and it's It's a sticky conversation to have, but the safest move is to collect payment at the time that services are completed. Simply put, it's not complicated. And if people don't want to pay you on time, they're not the customer for you. My second thought when it comes to service-based businesses and collecting payments is I want for you to log into whatever method you use to collect payments and see what the percentage yield is on the fees. Because oftentimes, uh, platforms, vendors like um, Stripe, QuickBooks, etc., they're all taking a percentage of your net. So let's say you collect an $80 payment for a product and you ship it and that money gets deposited into your bank. You're going to only see like 78, 77. And while a couple dollars here and there is not a big deal, it starts to add up. So I would encourage you to log into whatever software you use and see how much you've paid in fees over the last year and see if it's hurting your net. See if maybe you need to increase your prices to actually yield what you need to be yielding. Find out if there's a better platform for you. I have seen some of these platforms charge as much as 5%. That is nuts. I call these Rumpelstiltskin rules where you think that you're making all this money as a business owner and then psych, 
at the bottom line, you see that everybody else is making money off of you. And so how about we start doing less of that? Check out your platform, see how much money they take and keep as a percentage and see how much money you're leaving on the table each year because odds are you can bump up your rates 3% just to cover that in addition to covering your taxes or being able to recoup it from another area. Now, if you are product-based, I have a couple ideas as to ways that you are stealing from yourself because you're not even thinking about it. Being a product-based business, you are stealing from yourself if you do not offer pre-orders. Like it's the phrase, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. One order before your product is even created is absolutely worth two after it's created and it's sitting on the shelf. Man, it is so valuable. One being because you're testing out your idea uh, and you're quantifying it to make sure that it's actually going to sell and be profitable and turn it into more than simply an idea or a sample. And two, um, it's because you need that runway. You need that cash flow to get off the ground. You need cash flow to be able to buy all of the random products, which brings me Uh, the products to like ship, you know, and have a finished good, a packaged good. And that brings me to my next thought. You are stealing from yourself as a product-based business. If you are not incorporating the non-billable supplies or materials in the cost per item and service-based businesses do this too. Like I will literally lose my bum on shipping for fabric in some places. And so you want to take that into consideration Make sure that things like bubble mailers and hang tags and garment tags and any little notion that needs to be purchased that goes into your product um, or goes into packaging and shipping your product like boxes, tissue paper, stickers, um, inserts, anything like that can truly add up. I've seen new fashion designers launching lines and they've spent almost the same amount in the packaging as they've spent in making their products and you really need to factor this into the shipped good and factor this into your bottom line in the beginning we're really soft on ourselves with that stuff because we want to make a good impression but it really is important to do something that's scalable and while you might do something a little extra for your first like 50 orders 100 orders as you get bigger everything needs to be more scalable in that Other people can take this and run with it and do your fulfillment for you or the cost of the goods is scalable. Like you can't buy a wrapping good that, you know, is a custom bubble mailer or like a custom shaped box um, with your printing on the outside of it for thousands of products if you end up going viral. Um, You can't do that. That doesn't scale. And so focus on creating a system for getting your product out there in a way that is actually scalable and factor in all of those non-billable supplies into the cost of the actual item. So yeah, I want you to take a look at processing fees. I want you to reassess the platforms that you're using and the rates that you are charging based on what amount you're leaving on the table. And then I also want you to make sure that you have factored in literally everything that goes into getting this product out into the world. And When you first start, like I said, it's less important. So if let's say you've already got a product out in the world or you're offering a service, this is a great time to put a pin in it and revisit exactly what you're spending because 
inflation is wild right now and the things that we used to be able to get for like 30 cents are now a dollar and that adds up on a hundred items that is a huge difference and so I really want to challenge you to go over your entire process with a fine-tooth comb find other ways where you can kind of like save money without cutting corners and go from there in terms of collecting payments and um, pricing accordingly. Okay, my last thought is you're hiding behind your service or your product. And I see it everywhere. So I get asked questions most often on TikTok and quite often in email. And these questions are like along the lines of, what am I doing wrong? Why is my product not selling? It's great. Why is my content not getting more attention? Why, you know, why, why, why? And what it really comes down to most often, if I were to spot one singular theme, it would be that you are hiding. It would be that you are expecting your product or your service to do all of the heavy lifting for you. And at the end of the day, if it is a handmade service, your hands are what are being purchased. And the problem is, because of that, we tend to remove our personality from things or we hide behind our work. And if you hide behind your work, you cannot possibly brand yourself the individual connected to what you do. You cannot possibly become known for doing what you do because what it is is it's the way people talk about, oh, I follow an account that shares content like that versus, oh, I follow Crystal. She's taught me a lot of stuff about that. You hear the difference? The difference is people will come back to Crystal. They won't come back to Crystal Douglas's account because she shares educational content. You can't hide behind it anymore. And us creatives love to stand behind our work. The problem is it's not recognizable. And there are too many people who probably do what you do if you don't decide to set yourself apart and step out in front of the camera and make eye contact and connect. More often than not, I will go on somebody's TikTok or on somebody's Instagram and I'll look over the content that they're publishing. And you know what's weird? There are no humans in this content. There's nothing personable or relatable. There's no personality behind it. It's just hands doing or it's product. And in order to have a viral product, like virality and potency happens when you're willing to connect when you're willing to incorporate the human experience, when you're willing to step outside of your comfort zone and be vulnerable. You have to have connection to have virality and you can't connect if you're always hiding behind what you do or what you provide. I would encourage you to build a brand out of what you offer, but also connect your brand of yourself, the individual, to the product. Gone are the days where we want everything white labeled and clean and looking like it's coming out of an Apple store. I really genuinely think that the thing that sells is vulnerability. The thing that sells is the antidote. The thing that sells is whatever emotionally connects at the right time in the right place. So stop hiding, stop hiding behind your service or your product. If you're doing this, you're stealing from yourself. So one more time, 
the five ways that you are stealing from yourself. You're not investing in any time in other platforms. I want you to change that this week. If you are the master of TikTok and you've got it, choose your three favorite pieces of content that you've published to TikTok, content that's done well, and publish it in a new format that fits on Instagram. If you are great at email, turn that into a caption and post to Instagram or read it to the camera and post it to TikTok. I really want to encourage you to branch out into a new platform this week. The second one is that you are not watching the numbers and I see you. You're guilty. You're not watching it. It's time. Open up your QuickBooks, open up whatever your accounting software is, look at the money in, look at the money out, and then start going over each individual expense and ask yourself, is this realistic? The third, you're not watching the clock. You have no concept of time like me, and that's okay, but it's time to start setting timers for yourself and take note of when your most productive times of day are and do the hardest work during that time frame. And that way, the hard work stays within a three-hour span and not within an 11-hour span of you just like never getting the project done. The fourth way that you are stealing from yourself or could be is how you are collecting payments. Let's get profitable again, shall we? And then the fifth way is you are hiding behind your service or your product. And I want to encourage you to step out this week, step into the light, introduce yourself and who you are and show up more regularly on the internet, on these different platforms and in the world as the owner and the founder of your brand. I hope you've got something out of this. I hope it's been helpful to you. I hope you have the absolute best week ahead and I will see you next time on Pull the Thread.